Hello, listeners. This is Joseph. Uh, I know this episode is a couple of months late, but, uh, well, it's been a rough couple of months after Jake moved. Uh, We weren't able to set up another recording session before I went to Gen Con, and then as I went to Gen Con, uh, while I was there, the family history of diabetes caught up to me, and so I spent several weeks recovering from that. And then just when I was getting back in the game and was able to start working on editing this episode, both of my computers died. And so it's taken about another month to get one of those up and running again. And as I'm recording this, it's the last week of September, and hopefully we'll be getting another recording session done here in a couple of days. So this episode is, um, uh, I don't remember when exactly we recorded it. It was, it started off as just a conversation we happened to incidentally record and partway through, we realized it would make a decent, uh, backup episode, (laughs) uh, to throw out in the event that we didn't have time to record something. So here's the show some or all of the metals in the army as rusted and while i initially tried it with uh griffhound it just was like a very a little too orangey yeah so i'm gonna try it again with i think it's called gorgruntifer just kind of brown which is like a little bit which is like a which is more of a orangey brown rather than a brownie orange (laughs) yeah i'm (laughs) <laughs> for my night haunts, I kind of like the idea of everybody being rusted. The pterodon turquoise came out really streaky on those claws. Yeah, there's 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 sometimes where I've seen it come out like like looks great, and there's sometimes where it gets really streaky, and I'm just having a hard time figuring out what makes it do that. I think think I could be wrong, <clears throat> but I think you actually have to use like as little paint as possible in the brush, like mm-hmm. load it with as little as you can get, which is almost opposite of how they describe it because they talk about how you need to use one thick coat yeah i guess that could just mean you know because you just don't thin it down but yeah yeah because they do say that you shouldn't thin them at all but i almost wonder if it has to do with i guess with those claws you would have only done one stroke per part of the claw right uh yeah but that was kind of heavy that was before i yellowed all the other Mm -hmm. ones and realized that like if you minimally load the brush like it comes out really good okay like it comes out a lot more even than a heavy does okay and i think it also there's a uh depends on certain because what i've seen the darker colors react better with the gray sear Hmm. and the lighter colors seem to react a little bit better with the uh wraith bone with the wraith bone because i mean they both work pretty well on either mm-hmm. but like i had a i did a couple of the use some of those uh grim guests mm-hmm. and did like like one grace here one mm-hmm. uh wraith boat and i did like the same colors on both of them right and the one on the gray seer i think it was the pterodon turquoise um no not pterodon achillean green yeah that one uh it was the achillean green it looked less streaky over the gray seer like, there was, like, a hand of streak, but it wasn't as noticeable as it was on the Wraithbone. Hmm. But the Aethermatic Blue pops better on the Wraithbone than it does on the... Hmm. Interesting. 
So it's just, and then then that could also just come down to taste because I was trying to do the the bottom ghost part. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted it to look like a little bit smokier or whatever. Yeah. And so the Wraith Bone and the Aethermatic Blue had that a little bit more spirity look than the Great Seer did. I ended up priming everything here anyway because it's fine. (laughs) It's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. But I think it's... One thing that you have to think, yep, you have to really take into account what you're painting over when you paint it, because while it's a subtle difference most of the time, the they do interact differently with the oats. Yeah. Well, and any other colors that are underneath them, because I that's not the first time that I've painted that scheme onto a gene stealer. <laughs> One of them uh, I, I tried out first, and um, I did the whole thing in the uh, Yondan Yellow. Yeah, I, I did one, the first one that I painted. I did a fairly heavy coat of the Yondan Yellow that under this light looks cheddar. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I went over the armor plating in that Shaiish purple, I think it is. And it looked terrible. Oh, yeah? Like, there was no... I don't know how to describe it precisely, but like... It didn't come out like that. It was. It didn't look as streaky as some of the other results do, but it didn't look as purple. <laughs> mm. It looked. Yeah, there is black. a translucence to the to the paint, so the undercoat does. Yeah, the undercoat's very important. Yeah, because like I tried it on some administrata, not administrata, uh, Mechanica standard gray, mm-hmm. uh, which is that that dark gray that has a hint of blue to it, mm-hmm. and the darker colors go over it fine. Yeah. They look really dark, and if the model doesn't have a whole lot of texture to it, it might not look as... Because, like, I did it over Space Marine, and I did it over a Gene Stealer. And I did the Ultramarines Blue over the Space Marine, and I didn't even notice any, like, shading. Mm -hmm. It just looked like I had painted a thin coat of blue over it. Mm -hmm. And so I might go back and try again just to see what happens, but it just... You know, it, 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 it didn't quite have the effect that it would have had if I had added, like, Gray Seer. Yeah. But when I tried the Apothecary White, you can barely see it. Hmm. Like, like, like it, it, it just put, like, a white glaze over the dark gray. Hmm. Yeah, so, it's not obvious. We've been talking about contrast paints. Um, and, yeah, they're weird. They're kind of fun. It's, it's fun seeing how they work and, like, like wondering what you're going to get when you first you try out a new color on a model but it's taking some getting used to they're they're it's like learning to paint again yeah to me i mean i'm used to working with shade paints because just i have a bunch of shade paints at home and so mm-hmm. I've, I've used a lot of them over the last year or so and it's a really similar technique to shade paints but it's just different enough that if you paint it exactly like you would painting with shades or glazes it might not give you what you're expecting. Yeah, because the shades, washes, are a lot thinner. Yeah. But these contrast paints are weirdly viscous, and so if you put on, if you load your brush up with a bunch of it, like you do for shade or wash, it streaks really bad, it seems like. And it pools, and pretty much immediately makes a problem. Yeah. Because the couple times I've had anything pool while I was painting it, there was no way to fix it. Like, as soon as you noticed, or as soon as I noticed that it had pooled somewhere, I spread it, and but there was still a line of yeah. pigment there. Also, they recommend you let it dry for a half hour in between colors. Colors, yeah. Which 
I suppose goes along with the viscosity probably, but probably. It's, it takes a while for the, for it to dry completely. And I've noticed that too when I've before I watched the video that says let it dry for a half hour. Um, that like when I painted over something that was still fairly fresh, it came out weird looking. Now, <clears throat> I did watch one where uh, the guy was discussing how use of the contrast medium. Mm-hmm can make for really interesting wet blending because of how long it takes the paints mm-hmm. to dry. And what he does is he coats the whole area that he's going to be doing a wet blend on with the contrast medium. Hmm. And then cleans his brush and goes, like 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 the one he was doing, he was doing like a, like a smoke cloud, so it was mm-hmm. like blue at the bottom and white at the top or something like that, or it might have been the other way around. But he, so he throws the medium on and puts the blue halfway up and then puts the white at the top, and then brings that down to the mm-hmm. halfway, and then just blends them in the middle. Yeah. And it created a really cool wet blend. Yeah. And part of the reason he was able to do that was because it takes so long for the paint to dry properly. That is something I was wondering about last night, was if these might be conducive to doing wet blending. Because wet blending is kind of hard to do. Yeah. It's, it's a skill you really have to work on. And it requires you to have the paint already out of the pot before you even start. <laughs> And generally clenching a brush in your teeth. <laughs> yeah. And one in hand. And either being willing to use your saliva to wet the brush that you're going to use for the wet blending, or having a pot of water to dunk it into real quick. Yeah, it's it's a lot of timing and the slow dry of the contrast paints and then combine that with the medium which already exists to help with blending and yeah, well, that kind of stuff. The medium is just the paint without the pigment. <laughs> yeah. And so having that there to help, uh, it makes for the wet blends a lot easier. Yeah. And of course it thins out the pigment so they can mix together a little bit easier. It makes them easy enough that you can accidentally do it yeah. and screw up the paint job. And I've recently worked with the their shade medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that worked really well. Uh, I haven't tried the contrast medium out yet. But I, I used the shade medium to do a, get a couple of cool effects. Um, I didn't bring my Terminator today, or I would show you what I did with him, but I got a... Uh, I mixed the medium with the blue shade and then painted it over like a pale flesh tone. Mm-hmm. And so he has this kind of like bluish corpse pallor to his skin. Yeah, nice. But the blue doesn't... Because I thinned it down so much with the medium, the blue doesn't like overpower that white yeah. skin. It it's just, just a tinge. It's just a tinge. Hmm. That gathers in the recesses. That's cool. So mediums are really helpful when it comes to painting with these kinds of paints. Yeah, which I've, I've experimented with media that I've gotten at, uh, I think I got it at Michael's before, iridescent medium and stuff like that. The stuff that is for you know, like art students. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are kind of fun. Uh, makes for some funny looking squigs when you mix like a really bright, vibrant orange with some iridescent medium and paint them up so you have like glittery squigs did you get some new squigs no no uh our local store i think only ordered one copy of loon curse Mm. when it went out for order and because it was such a limited production run things got allotted and when there's an allotment issue if you didn't order enough you don't get any yeah so we didn't get any which i'm kind of okay with because it was a pretty high price tag for a fairly small number of models and they didn't need to buy more stuff to not paint (laughs) (laughs) so oh right 
Age of Sigmar. We finally finally played, played a game of Age of Sigmar. I don't think we talked about that on our last recording. Yeah, right? no, no, no. We had yeah. we re- we recorded that last episode before the yeah. week before we got to play. Yes. But yeah. Uh, first actual game of Age of Sigmar for both of us, right? Yep. And that considered, it was very fast. Yeah. <laughs> it was still like two hours or so, but but uh, I know I had a horde. Yeah, you had a horde, and we. Spent a fair amount of time going, is this the same, or is this a leftover rule in my head from a different edition or a different game? And the second game was a lot faster. Yes. The, the, the first game we played did take a little while, but once we got the hang of it, it was... And, and, and a big part of the getting the hang of it was we play so many games, it's hard to keep track of which games do what. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, that second game would have gone even faster if my... Lord Arcanum hadn't been able to force that horde unit of yours to just stay stuck in. I was so mad about that. Fun thing. They did not deserve to be held up like that. They were performing so well. They they did so good, and then they just got stuck there with that one evocator who just couldn't die. And uh, fun thing. All Lord Arcanums have that ability. Oh, God. (laughs) And if I remember correctly, that works on any Sacrosanct or Redeemer. I think it's on any Stormcast. Ooh. That'd be even better. I know it's on Sacrosanct models, but I think it's also on Redeemers, which means Liberators. Because I want to say Liberators are the only Redeemer models. Um, I really like having little books. It's, I can see how it would be handy. It's annoying when you have to like flip through a book to, to reference multiple pages, but yeah. when you just want to look something up real quick, it's so easy. Once a turn, when a friendly Stormcast Eternal model is slain within 18 inches. So it's any Stormcast Eternal. Jeez. <laughs> it might be handy to, whether you're building Sacrosanct or not, to keep a Lord Arcanum in the army just to keep your dudes alive. Yeah. Or, well, to that seems like a good competitive play to yeah. be an embuggerance to a horde like that. <laughs> to just, <laughs> nope. That one model is going to stay alive, so you have to keep fighting. i hold you up this whole game. <laughs> so I think you killed her like five times. Yeah, I knew it was at least four. She took a couple every turn, but... Yeah, she died every turn, and she killed, I think, two uh, two uh, chain ghasts every, every turn. turn. <laughs> Which we didn't say earlier. Um, this is with the Soul Wars, Soul Wars. Uh, two-player set. So it was just the, the Stormcast from that against the Night Haunts also from that. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> I really liked that. That was, like, I've, I've, I've been looking forward to getting to play a game of Age of Sigmar at this point, like, almost four years. And I've just never had the opportunity to play it, either the time or just not having people to play with. Lots of stuff. Yeah. And so I finally got to play one, so I was happy there. But the army that I was playing, I enjoyed a lot more than I did. Yeah, uh, and I liked the Stormcast uh, considerably more than I enjoyed them in that skirmish game we did because... You could actually use your... <laughs> yeah, so much stuff that is dependent on them being... Stormcast. Stormcast. It's still a little weird to me how units compared to how they performed in like Warhammer Fantasy, units really underperform, but heroes overperform. <laughs> Yeah, Age of Sigmar's really hero hit. Yeah, like, the, the heroes tear up everything that's not a hero that gets in their way, and eh, units are pretty much equal to each other, it seems like, all the and time. That's one of the reasons why in the uh, matched play setup, they put a limit on the number of leaders, which is basically any hero as a leader, Yeah. Uh, that you can have. Because like, like, for a thousand points, you can't have more than four heroes. 
and then I think it only goes up to six at two thousand. Something like that. So they they, they want to keep your you know they 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 they, they want to make sure that you don't just field an army of nothing but heroes. Yeah. You can't just load up on heroes and give everybody a good kicking. That being said, I would have liked to see how that uh that chain rasp bomb would have gone off against your Lord Arcanum, because <laughs> that was bad. Yeah. Did not expect that to work as well as it did. Yeah, the them having a base two attacks apiece and then being close enough to was that a Knight of Shrouds? Yeah. That uh, gives them an extra attack. Pretty good. So it was three attacks apiece that had a 50% chance of hitting and a 50% chance of wounding. Evocators are tough, but three wounds with a four-up save only goes so far. Yeah, (laughs) especially when you've got, what was it, the first round it was something like 25 attacks. Yeah. No, 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 because that was before we had the, before we added in the bonus from the Knight of Shrouds. That was like 36 attacks or something. Uh, Let's see. It was 20 models, two attacks apiece. Right? How many models was it? I got 10. I had like 10 that were in. No, 12. I had 12 that were in close uh, combat. Right. 12 in close combat. One of them was the leader guy who gets an extra attack. for 25. 37 attacks. <laughs> Just in that first round. And I got to do that twice in that round. <laughs> yeah. Because they got that special night haunt charge where if you get 10 inch, if you get a 10 inch charge, they get to attack right then, but then they can still attack in the combat phase. Yeah. So those evocators ate, like, 60 attacks in the first round of combat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think the first actual, like, wave of attacks that you got to do killed all but one, and she was at one wound remaining at that point, and then you got to dump even more attacks into her. That Lord Arcanum just kept her in the game for... (laughs) Four combat rounds. Uh, it was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Compared to the last closest thing I ever played was Warhammer Fantasy 8th Edition. I really like Age of Sigmar a lot more, and I love Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah. But this was a lot faster and a lot simpler. Which, ironically, is the main complaint about Age of Sigmar from most fantasy players. It's like people who played fantasy either love Age of Sigmar because it's not fantasy or hate Age of Sigmar because it's not fantasy. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Cause it, the, and I mean, at first, that I didn't care to ever get into Age of Sigmar because it was a completely new thing to learn. Yeah. But now, yeah, I'm much... <laughs> I'm much more interested in playing another Age of Sigmar game than in another Warhammer fantasy game. I mean, if nothing else, the movement phase. So much easier. Yes, not having to wheel and pivot around corners and stuff. No, just using the simpler 40k style movement. Move model, move model, move model, move a model. Check for coherency. Okay, done. Move yeah, on. so simple. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, the current core rules for the game are shorter than the movement section of the last edition of Warhammer Fantasy. <laughs> I want people to think about that, especially people who really like Age of Fantasy. And I'm not telling you if you're wrong if you like Warhammer Fantasy. I am not saying that at all. And if you prefer Fantasy to Age of Sigmar, more power to you. It was a fun system, but it was complicated. But when the rules for moving your army are longer than the rules for the whole game... You can't expect people to want to get into it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was it was 
Warhammer Fantasy was eighth ed at least was a game where you spent a lot of time flipping through the book, <laughs> looking for how does this work exactly. And Age of Sigmar is simple to the point that my you know eighth ed fantasy brain keeps telling me it can't be that simple. There's no way it's that easy. <laughs> but it's like I know when back when I played fantasy right every once in a while with you. Uh, I tried to get a bunch of friends out at MSU into gaming, and every time they'd look at the models and they, oh, those are really cool. I wouldn't mind getting some of those. That's yeah, and you know, talk about the game and talk about like the fun that I've had playing. Oh yeah, that sounds really cool. And then I show them the rule book, and they're like, dude, I have classes that I barely study for. Why would I want to read a textbook to learn how to play a game? <laughs> yeah. Same with sixth, sixth and forty k. Yeah. Which. Speaking of 40k, literally like maybe an hour before recording this, played a game uh, of the new edition. Uh, Newish edition. Was my first experience with 8th ed 40k. Same. Uh, pretty good. Yeah. It's you know it, it still has the 40k feel. You know it can. It, it it didn't feel like it was as big of a shift as going from fantasy 8th ed to Age of Sigmar second, <laughs> but. Some noticeable differences. Uh, the thing that I keep bringing up every time <laughs> we talk about it is the, the moving and then charging, because I keep screwing that up <laughs> and deploying my stuff way too close to your stuff. Which, if I was playing certain armies, wouldn't be a big deal, but I'm playing Chaos Space Marines. Combat is where they belong. <laughs> yeah, they do like melee, and this uh, cause we, we were using the Shadow Spear starter set and boy oh boy those space marines don't want to be in melee with one notable exception and even then that lieutenant is pretty good at range yeah like if 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 this squad wasn't built this uh, chaos marine squad if it wasn't built swords and guns it would probably like i probably would almost never charge with it but the fact that half the squad is wielding melee weapons, you really want to get into close combat with these guys. And they do some serious damage in close quarters just because you get an extra attack for each guy that's using a sword. Yeah. Still gives me uncertainty with that squad because I, I like my things to be motto purpose because yeah. there's nothing wasted as long as they're doing whatever they're made to do. But... The versatility of having like half your models built for melee and half the models built for range means that no matter how your opponent comes at you, you know what you can do. You can do something. And if they want to shoot you, you've got... Like if they want to have a shooting war, cool. I have, in this squad, four dudes with swords that I can afford to lose because they're using pistols instead of rifles. Yeah. And if you want to get into close combat, cool. I've got three guys with bolt guns and two guys with special guns. That if I really need to lose, I can lose them. And not really diminish my combat ability all that much. Yeah. It's like, so when I built my second squad, I built them not quite as evenly mixed. I have a cut like one more gun and one less sword. Yeah. But I did that mixed build again. When I build my third squad, I am gonna go all go. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna take advantage of the fact that I can have two heavy weapons. Yes. Double up on autocannons. <laughs> or you could have another plasma pistol. Well, the thing is, you can do the, uh, I want to say you can have two guys take plasma pills. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about having a uh, one squad that's all rifles with two autocannons, mm -hmm. and one squad that's all swords with two plasma pistols. Yeah. Or one plasma pistol and a flamer. 
Yeah. Flamers are also really nice. Anything that automatically is nice. Yeah. <laughs> At least for deterring your opponent from charging. <laughs> I mean, if I've got D6 automatic hits, you're going to think twice. I wish more things had flamer pistols. Yeah. There's like two factions that can use them in the game. Yeah. No, three. Sisters have... A couple of models that get them, at least in the beta rules. Blood Angels, and I think Thousand Suns have a couple, don't they? Like a couple characters can. The Aspiring Sorcerer can take a Warp Flame Pistol, and I think the Sorcerer, and I'm pretty sure Exalted Sorcerers can also, but I don't think anything else can. Okay. Because Rubric stuff is just stock standard. <laughs> yeah. You have Gun. <laughs> Or you have Flamer. <laughs> or you have Big Gun. <laughs> uh, the, the, yeah, the Scarab Terminators get a little more versatile. But uh, I don't know, what are your overall thoughts on either or both of these games that we have now finally gotten around to playing for the first time? I like both of them, and I like them more than I've liked previous editions. They're very similar, too. Yeah. Uh, only real difference that springs to mind is... Melee range. Melee range and the way command points are used. Oh, yeah, because you don't get more command points in 40k every turn, or is it? But you get a, you can potentially get a bunch of... Yeah, how your, how your detachments are structured can give you a ton of them. Uh, whereas, you know, depending on point size, you still can't cram all that many command points in using... Uh, into a, a, a Age of Sigmar army using battalions. Yeah. Because if you're, even if you're using one of the super battalions, I've seen them called, the battalions made up of other battalions, you're only getting seven or eight command points, and you're approaching 5,000 points, yeah. generally. <laughs> yeah, they're not cheap. <laughs> yeah. uh, which is one of the few things that I don't like about Age of Sigmar so far, is that the battalions are so specific. Yeah. In the, they, they all have a fairly high number of points you have to spend on units just to take them. Yeah, that can get a little frustrating when you're when you want to take advantage of them, because especially if you're looking at tournament scenes, mm -hmm. you need to have at least one battalion. Yeah. Because the battalions give you an extra relic, they give you an extra command point, and you can deploy the entire battalion as a single drop. Oh, I didn't know about that. So if you deploy the whole battalion as a single drop, and you have like half your army in your uh, half your army in your battalion, mm -hmm. that's you know fifty percent of your army one single drop. That's one step closer to getting the first turn. So I suppose if you have a super battalion, you can just deploy the whole thing at once. Possibly, as I understand it, yeah, because the wow. super battalion is a battalion. Yeah. And a battalion can be deployed as a single drop. Wow. So if you did have one of those, you know, 5,000 point super <laughs> detachments, yeah, you could you could drop the whole army. As I understand it, uh, you know, as written, don't know about as intended, yeah. and I haven't checked the FAQ on that. Yeah. But That's a big document check. <laughs> yeah. But hypothetically, yeah, you could totally drop your whole army as a single drop. Huh. Instead of a single unit. Wow. Hmm. Which... Gives you a better chance of having the first turn. Yeah. Granted, you are deploying, at that point, your entire army, possibly having seen one unit. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> not <best>. even that. <laughs> Deployed. 
Possibly not. You know, with smaller battalions, it's not a bad idea. Like, like if I was running a super battalion, I would probably deploy each battalion within it. Yeah. As a single drop, just so I can see where everything is, and because most of the time the battalions have like a range of a ca- like off of a character that's in the battalion mm-hmm. that you want everybody to be in. Yeah. So like you know the plague cysts from Maggotkin and Nurgle. I want to keep everybody within. I think it's like seven inches of my Lord of Plagues. No, it doesn't really matter where the other two characters go, but the three units of Light Kings, I want to keep them close enough to benefit from his rerolls. So yeah. I'm going to put those guys at least pretty close together. And if I had multiple detachments, you know, I'd just be like, here's one detachment, here's another detachment, here's another detachment. <laughs> but you're also eating up points into that could go into models into your detachments. So. Taking too many might not be a great idea either, but you probably want to have at least one if you're going competitive. Yeah. I suppose also if you're going competitive, you probably want to take a... Assuming you have wizards, you probably want to take a endless spell or two. because And if you're willing to spend the money on it, have multiple copies of that. Mm. Because at least the way it reads... You can cast the endless spell multiple times as long as you actually have the models to use for it. Hmm. But I don't think you have to purchase the spell multiple times. Yeah, because like I know that if you cast it once and it gets dispelled, then you can just cast it again the next turn. Yeah. But I don't know about having multiple copies in play at once. Uh, it, it specifically says that in the oh, okay. in the in the big book. Okay. Uh, that you can have multiple of them. You can cast you can cast it again if you have another model okay. to put into play. But yeah, yeah, that if could be. That you only handy. have like one celestial dais thing. If I've already cast it and it's in play, I can't cast it again yeah. until it's uh, unbound. But if you have multiple of the models, you can cast it multiple times and leave them in play, which is pretty wild. <laughs> Granted, they can be unbound against their casting value. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of... <laughs> and I want to say that once they're in oh, play, but... instead of being a beat, because like normally like if I cast a spell mm-hmm. and I roll a 7, you have to roll an 8 to stop the spell from coming into play. Mm-hmm. But I want to say that once the endless spells are in play, if I rolled a 7 to get it in, then you only need to roll a 7 to dispel it. But I'm not 100% sure on that, so don't quote me. Uh, I think you, it gets a little easier. You unbind against its casting value. Okay, so it just works just like unbinding. I'm not, and I'm not sure if you have to equal or exceed, or if you have to exceed. But that's only a difference of one, maybe. But it, it's far more likely to happen than trying to beat the actual result, since there's a decent number of things that add to your casting results. Yeah. Grand Convocation Battalion for Stormcast. Stormcast. You know, adds one to your casting results, and then the Lord Arcanum on a uh, Griff Charger can... There was something that I had in that battle <laughs> that... I think it was a command trait. Let's me add one to a yeah, wizard. the uh, Celestial Warbringers. Yeah, that's what it was. That's their, that's their command trait. trait. So it's far easier to just unbind it after it's been cast. Um, of course, if predatory spells... Then you're opening up a whole other can of problems for yourself yeah. by casting multiple of them. Let's have two giant flaming angry bulls running around the battlefield hitting whoever they want. Now granted, if you've got an even number of them on the table, then... Because it's just 
you pick one, I pick one, you pick one, I pick one. Right. As long as it's an even number, you can equal the number of them that your opponent is getting to use against you, but... Ooh. On the other hand, there's some of those endless spells that, like the the one, like the uh, the comet mm-hmm. for Stormcast, that doesn't move once it hits the ground. Yeah, it's it just not a predatory spell. It just sits there and radiates damage and messes with casting rolls. If you had a couple of those, you could drop them in a couple of key places, and mm-hmm. just, you're putting a terrain feature onto the board that messes with everybody. Yep. And that permanent five inch aura that it has after on turns after the turn where it enters play, you know, you can overlap those or you know just get them to where they're just barely touching so you have a 10 inch you know zone in between the two where uh i think it's wizards take a minus one to all their casting rolls and anything in there take like might take a mortal wound or something i just remember it it, i was like hmm i could take two of these you say (laughs) (laughs) just litter the battlefield with comets (laughs) Which, that comet feels distinctly like Dragon Ball Z Spirit Bomb to me, but... <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I've, I've enjoyed the games that we've gotten to play, and I'm glad that I finally got to play. Yeah. Uh, also, I enjoyed Primaris Space Marines a lot more than I expected to, and a lot more than I've ever enjoyed Space Marines. <laughs> Uh, you've been pretty anti-imperial for most of the time that i've known you (laughs) yeah which is weird because they're now something i'm getting very interested in though i think that's because in the current rules editions things seem a lot more well balanced against each other yeah and they seem appropriate to their flavor like being able to retreat out of melee with my mortifactors ultramarines (laughs) and then shoot with just a little penalty rather than just standing there waiting to be charged by that uh, greater possessed. Oh, that just seemed very fitting. Yeah. That, like, this squad of guys who's equipped only for shooting can just back away and open fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Ultramarines faction stuff is... As somebody who has always enjoyed the Ultramarines... It's really cool to see them get some rules that make them feel like what they're supposed to be. Yeah. You know, they, they they have a lot of rules that feel very tactical, like the ability to retreat and still shoot, the uh, the Scions of Gilliman tactic where they, they get re-rolls. Oh, yeah. Um, just because, you know, it's it's we, we have been honing our skills for this, so we're going to do a good job. Yeah. You know, and then... The command, the the ultramarine specific commander trait that lets them potentially refund any command points that they oh, spend. Cool. Uh, it's like a, on a five up, they can uh, any any time they use a stratagem on a five up, they get the command point back. Oh, nice. I particularly liked the ability of the infiltrators, where if they roll a six for a hit roll with their little rifles, carbines. It just automatically wounds. <laughs> you know, there's nothing special. It's not inflicting a mortal wound. It's it, Essentially, they just... These are guys who are exclusively made for shooting, and they shoot very accurately. And so if they shoot accurately enough, they find a vital spot and or a weak spot in your armor or whatever. And don't have to roll the wound. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes Overwatch a lot more satisfying when yeah. it actually happens. <laughs> yeah. Because um, you don't have to worry about the, oh, I made six Overwatch hits... And no wound rolls. <laughs> uh, 
know, she's talking about pepper you with fire, and some of it's going to stick. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anything that hits will stick. Uh, so, yeah. They seem to be much better games than they used to be. They were the last time I played them. Which was like, I think, six years ago at this point? Something like that. It was when I was still a student. Yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> Which was 2015 at the latest, but I think it was 2014 the last time I actually played a game. Contrast paints? Kind of weird. I'm still not sure how I feel about them. Yeah. I keep going back and forth, because like, there's some of them that I love. Like I, I, I love the way Flesh Terror's red looks, but I am still on the fence about a few of the others. Yeah. Like, overall, the results... Like, I've seen a bunch of pictures on various Reddits of models painted with the contrast stuff, and they look fantastic. And then there's my stuff, <laughs> which is pretty rough looking. But I'll say, you know, those eight models that I have there painted, granted only one of them is actually finished, but I did all of that in, I think, an hour and a half Yeah. last night. So even if they don't look... They, as good as you want them to. The contrast paints make it a lot faster to paint. Because, I mean, if we look at it... <laughs> if we look at it just strictly from a time point of view, if, if we look at it as, like, base coating and then shading versus contrast paint yeah. to get approximately the same result, the base coating, you would have to do two coats of the base coat, mm-hmm. thinned it down. Each base coat would take about 10 minutes to dry properly. Which and is still then, the case. Yeah. Still have to base coat in some way. Uh, either by brush or by can yeah and so you spray down or you, you put down your base coat you, you know, we'll say we'll say it takes between the painting and the uh and the drying we'll say it takes about 30 minutes to base coat a model and then you put the shade down which takes maybe a minute but then you've got to wait 15 to 20 minutes for it to dry you're looking at about give or take an hour a model Whereas with the contrast paint, it goes on about as quick as a shade paint would. You'd let it dry for half an hour, and you're done. <laughs> yeah. They're definitely conducive to my laziness. <laughs> They're just not great for my nitpickiness. <laughs> but the fact that you can put regular paints over those without like ill effect is nice and lets you clean up a lot of the issues. Yeah, I, I suspect that my usage of them is going to be mixing them with regular paints. You know, coating a, a vast area in a contrast paint, letting it dry, and then highlighting and coloring individual parts with uh, regular traditional paints. And I wouldn't be surprised, looking at the ones that I'm looking at right now that you've painted up, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if you end up doing like an all-over coat like you did with these guys mm-hmm. and then painting the carapace with regular paint. Yeah. Because <laughs> on the skin parts, it looks really good. Yeah. And it, it flows all into those little like muscle details and into the nooks and crannies really well without dunking anything up. Yeah. It just looks a little bit streaky on the flat. Yeah, flat panels... Which I would expect, like, armor panels on space marines and stuff like that to be the same way. Just requiring a little more technique yeah, to make it look good. <laughs> it's definitely not as easy as their videos make it look. Yeah, but nothing's as easy as their videos make it look. Those are especially full of lies. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that about does it for this episode out of time. Uh, thanks for listening. And have a good one.